Hello, Trash Future listeners. Nate here with a quick update. The following episode was recorded with Riley using an extremely tactical gaming headset. Hmm. Hold on. I mean a gaming headset. However, the levels were a bit off, and as such, you'll hear some noise that I wasn't able to fix. I apologize for any annoyance. As you know, I cannot control my children. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wilfred or Willie Johnson. <laughs> Willie Johnson, baby. <laughs> Willie Johnson. <laughs> yeah, congratulations to uh, to Boris Johnson and Carrie Simons for proving that uh, rich people are some of the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet <laughs> for accidentally naming their extremely important famous son Willie Johnson. <laughs> I, love, I love giving birth to a shit poster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> proving your son is in fact a guy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what I find really interesting, though, is like there you can I can guarantee you that there is someone who over the last week has posted, uh, "LOL, you called your son Willie Johnson," and uh, they're going to be called onto the BBC to like talk about the fact that maybe the NHS, uh, as presented by Virgin, shouldn't be like grinding up the sick into paste to feed to like the workers, mm-hmm. and then like Guido Fox or like you know whoever's running Guido Fox at the time is going to be like, ah, oh, they posted Willie Johnson. This sick junior doctor <laughs> mocked the child of our prime minister. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm. So, you know, uh, I, had, I just had that horrible minority report style vision of the future. So <laughs> great. It's cool. Uh, anyone who objects to the NHS being funded by anything other than like, you know, people like, like 105 year olds doing push up competitions or whatever, <laughs> they're all going to get like their, their tweets like combed for the, everything they posted in the last four days to make sure that like healthcare financing in this country continues to be distributed in the form of like, I don't know, flybys and boat donuts and I other just, stupid shit. I just really want one of these doctors to like secretly be a weeb. Like for Guido Fawkes to have to like dox this guy and be like, there's all this strange anime on his account. Um, I don't understand why he's like so obsessed with schoolgirls yeah. uh, with this... robot arms and stuff. I feel, I feel like that would be great. This so-called Dr. Kasvani claims to have been turning babies Muslim. <laughs> Welcome back to this uh, free episode of Trash Future, the podcast you're listening to right now. We are recording uh, live from a series of undisclosed locations uh, that includes myself, uh, Riley. We have Hussein. Also from an undisclosed location, near, nearish uh, Julian Assange's prison cell. That's right. That's right. Uh, we also have uh, Milo, equally undisclosed as to his location. Hello. Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, Willie Johnson to grow up into a Chris Lowville type figure, except he is an emergency circumcision surgeon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, also joining us from another undisclosed location in sunny undisclosed location mm-hmm. is Alice. Yeah, doing huge Captain Tom tributes. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, we are very pleased to welcome uh, Antonia Jennings from the Board of Rethinking Economics, uh, who is going to once again breathe some sense into this silly discussion. Antonia, how's it going? Oh, it's going well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, a um, pleasure. I can't believe we keep getting actual like grown-ups on our show where we just make jokes about the Prime Minister's son oh, being called Willie Johnson. <laughs> that's right, that's right. 
Yeah. Um, uh, before we go we'll go into it, Antonia, can you just uh, mention a little bit of what Rethink Economics does? Sure. So uh, Rethink Economics, it's a UK-based charity. Um, we are campaigning and working to kind of uh, reform the teaching, but also the application of economics. So I guess we are challenging kind of the teaching of economics as a, as a hard science with one particular worldview um, and trying to put forward the argument that it's obviously a model of understanding the world um, and, you know, the individual isn't this completely rational agent. You know, GDP probably doesn't need to be deified and environmental breakdown is a little bit more than uh, just a, a negative externality. Um, so we're, we're a student-led charity. We've got over 100 groups in, I think, 25 countries, which I think is uh, in all the continents, possibly bar the, the very cold ones, not because they don't matter. They're just There's no students there. And, um, yeah, there's loads of different ways to get involved. And, yeah, I'd really encourage anyone that's interested to go to our website, which is rethinkeconomics.org. And which will be linked in the description. I, I feel like the teaching of economics right now, as it is in Britain, is like just that. Have you seen that meme that's like Austrian economics, steal manhole cover, sell for drugs, wait for cities to replace the manhole cover? And then like, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's completely ludicrous. And I guess our whole sort of theory of change is based on the fact that if we want the next generation's economy to be any different, then the people who are studying economics who go on to be you know, journalists or civil servants probably need to understand the different ways of thinking about things. Um, so, yeah, it's a long-term campaign in that sense. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in it's, all it's, seriousness, it's, though, don't go stealing manhole covers in Austria. You never know what you might find down those <laughs> holes. <laughs> uh, also, I, I love the idea that we're finally like considering the, the idea that the um, the economy isn't like an angry volcano that we have to throw people into to appease, mm. but that is just sort of one facet of human activity. The line. Yeah, the we, we we look. The more people go into volcano, more line goes up, <laughs> and that's science, <laughs> uh, folks. But. Look, here's the thing. I have a startup for us uh, to talk about today before we get into the uh, the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about. So, uh, without any further ado, I would like to please have you guess what the startup Receptivity, and I'll give you a hint, there is no Y in Receptivity, it's spelled with an I. Give me nice. a guess as to what this startup does, uh -huh. and we're going to start with Antonia. Oh my god, it's going to be awful, isn't it? Um, receptivity, uh... Oh my god, it's probably some new startup to kind of capitalize and accelerate the charitable giving of like the most vulnerable in society for the NHS in some like horrible, horrible way. Oh, that doesn't exist, but now you've summoned it into existence. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm going to throw it open to the floor. Who else has an idea finally, of receptivity? Finally, a startup for bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so wait. Antonia says it is something to get the poor to give more of their incomes to the NHS. Alice says it's uh, just like a what, like a guidance or like a platform for bottoms to yeah, talk have, about well, bottoming. Yeah, yeah. It's, have, it's like I, a. Mm. I, I have an no, idea. It's a little bit, little bit left field, right? So it's an app where obviously it's an app. They all are, but it's an app where like every morning you wake up with um, the sweet dulcet quotes of Recept here, but uh, Dion. <laughs> uh, Very important it's, it's like soothes, soothes you into your day it's like a wellness it's like a wellness um wellness app but it's all recite recitations from erdian so wait it's it's like it's like a version of calm but for turning it in, into an arc party member instead of turning you into like a mindfulness person Hell okay yeah. all right cool 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 
I like where you're going with this one. Uh, Milo, final guess before I start reading uh, copy. I think I think receptivity spelt with two eyes is like a sorority girl last name. Like maybe this is like a, a, a robot sorority girl that you could order for your house and it just wanders around the house and it said things like, uh, uh, like, yeah, me and Serena were like thinking about going to the party, but like, I don't know if like Ch- uh, Chad is going to be there. So I don't know if I'm going to go. Milo Edwards here doing an impression of his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Callum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> no, uh, uh, n- none of that is the case. Real time blank for high performance organizations. Receptivity is the only blank analytics platform that delivers you the insights you need to oh, continuously it, improve the productivity and effectiveness of your high performance it, organization. It tells you how badly you're getting owned on Twitter by like us. <laughs> Alice is closest. Fuck! It's like the it's like the Bourne movies, like the CIA control bunker. Somebody comes running in with a like a printout they've torn off of like me, like spoonerizing the name of your company, and a guy just looks at it and goes, "My God, uh, Antonio!" It's like Antonia. a Theranos thing, but it takes part of your blood and tells you how much of you is currently corn. <laughs> <laughs> Antonia, Antonia, I'm gonna throw to you. What do you? What having given you this bit of the ad copy? What do you think receptivity does? Oh, I mean, maybe it's something to do with the fact everyone's working from home. So it's kind of trying to see how many loo breaks you're taking from home. I don't know. Maybe it's a wearable thing. It can, t- yeah. Close. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, no. sure. You're not wearable, but close. Uh, Hussein, last <laughs> guess before I give the final clue. Okay, so is it so based on this and not my original idea, which I think is a lot better? Um, mm-hmm. It feels like it's yes. a phenomenon. No, no, I agree with you. Your original idea is way better. <laughs> <laughs> With speech synthesis, this is going to become a reality. You can have a bedtime story from Erdogan. <laughs> right. It's, it feels like it's a very like phrenology-related device um, in the sense okay. where like, it feels like it's something that connects to like receptors in the brain and is designed to like create an AI version of yourself and then eventually replace you at your job. Ah, they're like the movie Simone with Al Pacino. You're all you're all circling the drain of this particular idea toilet. Uh, so it's time for me to give the final clue. Real time, no surveys, no nonsense. It doesn't add mm. anything to. <laughs> no. Start, the, the, real time, no surveys, no nonsense. Starting with Antonia. Um, is it some kind of facial recognition software for job applications or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's as evil. Oh God. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going. I know you said it isn't a wearable, but like technically, a bomb collar isn't really worn. It's more like <laughs> adhered. <laughs> uh, we we, we like say, to think of it more as on. being implanted surgically. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn! I mean, uh, does it does it like spy on your employees? Yep. Ding 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 ding. Milo got it. Oh, oh. good. Yeah. Receptivity, con- receptivity continually mo- uh, continuously measures the key drivers of performance in your teams, groups, or departments, such as engagement, collaboration, innovation readiness, and the blockers of performance like stress and fatigue by analyzing subtle patterns in language from voice, email, messaging, and more. Oh, oh okay. So, like, if you use the word "bussy," you immediately get summoned into a <laughs> yeah. performance review. It, it's a it's a positive vibes enforcer. This rules. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's all all workplace communications are the subject of a twenty four hour vibe check. Judge Dredd, I am the vibe. Yeah, that's right. A vibe biopsy. <laughs> 
I prefer my thing, where they just put a small explosive in the base of your skull. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, like, the, the modern corporate economy is basically like tree, uh, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror 2, where Bart Simpson, like, can just detect everyone's thoughts, and if you think a bad thought, he turns you into, like, a jukebox or sends you to the moon. Uh, it's mm. quite similar to that, except instead of Bart, it's just your boss. Yeah, and we're all wearing the Flanders outfit. That's right. That's right. We're all Ned Flanders. Uh, so it basically, if you send an email or an IM or whatever, um, what it does is it analyzes it constantly and have, there's a dashboard that your boss can see uh, that says which groups in the company might be talking about if they're not happy, if they're stressed, they might be using the U-N-I-O-N yeah. word. Um, this is just uh, this yeah. is just Whole Foods' heat map of stores that might strike. Well, but that's the thing that that whole Amazon for the Whole Foods heat map, they have been using a less high tech version of this. Huh. They've been using surveys, uh, like employee satisfaction surveys, to detect where people might strike. That's one of several variables they use. Uh, some other ones are uh, the neighborhood of the income uh, income of the neighborhood that the store is in, and also stores with greater racial diversity are less likely to unionize. I think it was those three factors that they made their heat map of. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Finally woke union busting. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just fucking forcing a bunch of Armenians into a Whole Foods and not explaining why. <laughs> uh, and so what this company is promising, basically, is through monitoring not just emails and messages, but like voice communications as well. So over phone, not bugging offices yet, um, basically saying we can determine what groups might become disgruntled. And while the firm never says it's used to prevent union act unionizing activity, in fact, they say it's got some very uh, progressive reasons for existing that we'll get into. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, I, I see no reason why uh, if Amazon wanted to step up its union busting activities, they couldn't just get this or something like it. But also, so, like any kind of like employment tribunal, you can be like, oh, you claim to be unhappy, and yet your happiness index on all of these indicators suggests that, in fact, you uh, you were doing the Tara Reid <laughs> thing of not complaining yeah. enough at the time. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we did a vibe biopsy every morning. Mm -hmm. uh, before I carry on, um, and, Antonio, what do you think of this general tendency to sort of greater workplace supervision? Oh man, I think it's gross and like, you know, it just completely dissolves the distinction between like the public and personal life, which is already under strain at the moment, right? But it reminds me specifically on uh, of a few years ago, I don't know if you saw, WeWork got called out because on their accounts as as like um, one of the incomes or the profits, they had listed uh, the vibes of the offices that they had. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously they got called out for it, and then you know their value went down loads. Oh, we, we talked about the WeWork thing because that was yeah, they called yeah, that yeah. measurement. Like... Well, they called the measurement community adjusted EBITDA. Uh, sure, whereas survive, <laughs> <basically>. <laughs> you thought that was bad. Here follows an excerpt because I always I always do the research on this stuff. Here follows an excerpt from a white paper authored by the board and sort of leaders of receptivity and the sort of globally, like quite globally prestigious uh, security consulting firm, Control Risks, explaining how it works. The paper goes, the benchmark methodology for deriving the emotional meaning from human language is the linguistic, linguistic inquiry word count model, known as the LIWC. The LIWC was developed by James W. Pennebacher, a professor at the University of Texas at Austin, and author of a book entitled The Secret Life of Pronouns. 
<laughs> awesome. Sure, sure. That's some Gladwell shit right there. Yeah, well, that, that dude must be the most left-wing person ever. Oh yeah. Having, having pronouns right. in your bio makes you makes you a leftist. So this guy writing a whole book about them, sus. Yeah. Much of mm. Dr. Pennebacher's work explores the connection between emotion, behavior, perception, cognition, and language, with a specific focus on what he calls stealth words, or the small function words in our le- le- lexicon. Tier one words. <laughs> such as prepositions and pronouns, which are seemingly invisible in day-to-day speech and to radar. These seemingly innocuous function words, such as I, me, you, he, for, it, of, this, etc., play a crucial role in helping us understand identity, detect emotions, and realize intention. Yeah. I, I hate also when provide... the fucking Serbian army shoots down my pronouns. <laughs> they also, uh, I identify as a surface-to-air pronoun missile. They also <laughs> provide important clues about cultural and social cohesion. For instance, people who are highly depressed tend to use first-person singular pronouns like I more than people who aren't depressed. Cool. What? Sweet. I want, yeah. like, what, like, because they spend more time on their own? Like, is that why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it means the queen's very happy because she's always saying we. Mm. That makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, someone, someone phones you up and is like, I'm going to kill myself. And you're like, oh, no, they've used the pronoun I. They're probably depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After the, after the value got wiped for the community, Ebert, the WeWork had to change their name to I work. Um, (laughs) hey pal no one should kill themselves alone get a friend involved (laughs) yeah it's fucking bizarre that they're just like yes we've decided we've just we're all these like um people we're monitoring we've decided to see if they're if they're depressed by seeing what pronouns they use as opposed to you know ask asking or just you know trying to make their make their lives better no Mm. pronouns (laughs) (sighs) uh so and they also uh, they it says they tend to focus on the on issues in the present. So if you say something like "I don't have enough money right now," you can tell they're depressed because they use the first person uh, singular, and also they're talking about the present. This is the dumbest shit mm-hmm. I've ever heard. Does this work? <laughs> I don't know. Do they know? I have no idea. None of these tech, co- all these tech companies are always dumb as hell. <laughs> it's always ludicrous. I would like um, a, I would like to see a book called The Secret Life of Pronouns, in which it's just revealed that uh, it and its have just got a whole basement li- family. <laughs> <laughs> we we read an article that suggested ah oh, we looked at a bunch of old newspapers and people were surprisingly happy because the newspapers used happy words on this podcast, and it was something that we thought was inane for the, I think it was the Times, and now it's just it's a startup also. Yes, correct. That's right. Amazing. But it's instead of looking at words like uh, ebullient or chartreuse, they're looking at words like the, mm. you mm. know, and yeah. too often if, forgotten. <laughs> um, before I go on, before I go on to uh, the uh, how, how this is a woke thing for some reason, uh, Hussein, what do you think of this thus far? It's all insane. I don't even know like know where to where to fucking. I didn't like that was a real trip going from like a bizarre kind of pseudo LinkedIn to like this fucking book about pronouns. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> when you think about it, aren't all books about pronouns? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, whenever, whenever I read a book and I see the word they, I just chuck it out. Sus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I'm not here for this gender Marxism. <laughs> yeah, so also that's the other thing, right? Like identifying the ways in which, you know, um, British colonialism still has sort of roots in creating a 
a very difficult time for like BAME, BAME people today. That's grievance studies. But measuring how happy you are if you use the word and, uh, that's STEM. Look, mm. I I always take yeah. the position that there are actually like three genders. There's there's girls, there are guys, and, oh, there, are, and, and there are sword guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yes. People who use I guys. are depressed, and people who use and are motivated, and people who use yes and are into improv. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I have I now have a woke reason as to why this ludicrous startup should exist that they've claimed. So awesome. this is. This is this is an interview. So, this is positioned as a risk management tool for avoiding reckless executive behavior or reckless like financial trader behavior by like monitoring them to see if they're overconfident in colluding about trades or monitoring your organization for insider threats. Small Both explosive the- in the base of the skull. Well, that's the thing. Both of these are completely legitimate activities. Like this is something that companies need to do, especially like. Um, yeah, it's the only time when you want to have to survey your workers is where we've put an, inter- an, an economic system in place where like one guy can do a keystroke and accidentally destroy three banks. Yeah, like that—that's the thing. Like the, these kinds of tools are necessary, but at, like the in, in putting myself in mind of the Amazon thing, their potential for misuse and the sort of blithe. Uh, ignorance of the executives behind those companies, or not blithe ignorance, but sort of willful um, recklessness. Willful, no, oh, just willful recklessness. I think the uh, willful obtuseness about the risks of these companies, of the people who are their executives, uh, is completely uh, ludicrous. So here's how it's a here's how they're saying it's a woke thing. So when Mike Durland, a board member of Receptivity, watched Senator Elizabeth Warren grill then Wells Fargo CEO John Stubb about the bank's phony account scandal at a 2016 congressional hearing, he realized that executives need a better way to understand the cultures of their organization. What we're really trying to understand is what's going on inside of our organization. But they, are know. Exci- they know what's going on. That was the problem. Th- this guy was fooled by the world's Worst wallet inspector. <laughs> he said, where are people excited about what they're doing? Where are people collaborating and cooperating? But also, what are the things inside an organization that are causing resentment, stress, or anxiety? Does he think that people f- caused the subprime housing crisis because they were acting out? <laughs> well, what he says is he looked specifically at Wells Fargo, which had this cross-selling in- initiative called Eight is Great, where... Uh, um, uh, sort of retail salespeople would be uh, cajoled into aggressively cross-selling their customers more and more products until they got to eight. And then when they're cu- they couldn't sell to their customers, they would just open accounts and credit cards and stuff in their names. Yeah. And so hang on, this cross-selling co- broke, cross-selling woke, trans-selling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what? So essentially, what happened was the there was this directive that came down from on high. That then created a do this or get fired um, position for like salespeople at at shops, and again, this was completely disproportionately um, impacting in like ethnic minority areas. Yeah, but and they were just a small bank, and when you think about it, Bear Stearns really just had so much fucked vibes that they ended up self harming. <laughs> trouble with Bear Stearns uh, well, well, was they had but, too many Stearns; it wasn't sustainable. So what uh, what what happened then is like they the, the bank becomes like engaged in additional like criminal activities beyond just the normal activities of a bank in 2006 because uh, this was sort of after 2008 that they were doing this <laughs> paranormal and, criminal activity yeah but what what happens is that they um is that this company assumes that the problem is not the fact that 
like upper management decided to do this initiative, uh, but rather that people were um, acting out. Yeah, no, basically. They, they, it's literally just the you're being murdered. Well, they can't do that. That's illegal. They they literally just believed all of these bank executives who said, "Yeah, no, we didn't tell anybody to do this." Uh, here, you know, I have the you know the other two examples of uh, organizations he gives that were harmed by the bad behavior of people within. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The first one is the International Olympic Committee. You want to know what the next one is? Uh, the police. Uh, okay. I, again, I'm going to do one more round of guesses because I like making people guess. Antonia, starting with you. Um, <laughs> Saudi royal family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just he just uh, started like hacking up dissidents for attention. <laughs> uh, mm. uh, any, anyone else? Anyone else at all? Uh, Coldplay. Uh huh. <laughs> Hussein. Hussein. Before we go. Uh, no, I'm even, I mean, I'm just like, my, my brain. When you think okay, about okay, it, I'll when tell you, you about when, it. I'll when tell you. you think about it, Coldplay have been almost as hard to dissidents. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Mm. The Weinstein Company. Yeah. Wow. That was a real, like, left. left yeah, yes. examples cool. of organization harmed by the bad behavior of people within. It doesn't matter if the person doing the bad behavior is, like, senior management. But, like, it's not, <laughs> like, even, it's not even the senior management thing. It's that they knew. Everyone New. How? What? This is so. It's basically if you want to think about this in terms of like um, Hans Blix and the weapons of mass destruction inspection. This is a um, an Elizabeth Warren style woke dual use program that will be completely ineffective for stopping the actual excesses of corporate malfeasance because they're either intentional or being directed from the highest levels, but actually is also dual use for fucking union busting. You, you should know, you want to you do know it? What this is like if you take this rationale at face value. Trying to create a problem, I'm trying to create a solution to a problem that only exists because of people lying. This is like devoting your entire scientific career to trying to find a vaccine for affluenza. I feel like to a big degree what this really is, is kind of like they're trying to find like a vaccine to bad vibes, right? Mm, so yes. Like, so like the whole proposition is kind of like... You know, we just need to kind of get get rid of the people with the worst vibes. And yeah, that could be Harvey Weinstein. But that could also be like people trying to make a union who also have bad vibes. Um, you know, so all of it is really just fundamentally about like optics and getting rid of people who don't posit like Instagram positivity culture. I can imagine like an interview with like Uday Hussein being like, God, we did not know that he was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna fucking we're gonna cure Harvey Weinstein's sex addiction, a thing that he definitely has. Yeah. So mm. yeah, it's just welcome welcome to like this is this is the the politics of sort of of third wayism of sort of of um uh 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 of Brandeis rather than Debs or you know whatever of the let's regulate capitalism. If we make a better wallet, it can be expected that much faster. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, so I'm going to bring this section to a close by saying uh Great, another completely ineffectual tool uh, to take whatever money, money money is left of Saudi oil parents uh, by a bunch of uh, you know uh, venture capital firms that will do precisely fucking nothing mm. except maybe you know cause some injury down the line as someone decides to use it for union busting, which it again doesn't say it's for, but it seems to be cried out to be used for that. Mm. Um, but I'd like to move on a little bit. Uh, I would like to speak about um, the 
the the bailouts that are happening across the uh, mainly across the UK, but also some that are happening in the US. Um, Antonia, an enormous amount of central bank money has been created to replace you know people's salaries uh, to shore up businesses. The overall number of jobs has still fallen, and many people have seen their incomes go down. So I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about where that money's going and how these programs are working. Sure. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot uh, there's a lot going on, um, but I'll try my yeah. best to give you. Know, oh, damn! <laughs> I was really hoping there wasn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously we know we've got this massive health crisis. Um, part and parcel of that health crisis is an economic crisis, and similarly to the health crisis, the economic one is not going to be completely avoided. It's about minimizing its impact, right? So to that end, the government has announced a pile of loan schemes. Um, we've got uh, the furlough scheme. The Bank of England has a loan scheme too, and then. Creeping up the agenda is bailouts, but not much has been announced so far in terms of bailouts. Um, so I guess with all of these schemes, the thing to kind of unpack or think about is, are they sufficient? Um, are they fair? And in, you know, in the future, let alone uh, by the end of this year, but in like five years time, are they going to look, are they going to look any good? And in short, um, I mean, as I'm sure you can guess, they don't really match up to any of them. So, you know, they're not, ah, they're not sufficient, they're not fair, I... and they're not going to look good, let alone in five years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the most interesting one to talk, out, talk about at the moment is, as you said, the Bank of England uh, loan scheme. So it's been set up uh, for big business only um, to help with kind of short-term cash flow. And so far, seven times more money has gone through it um, than to the entirety of the UK kind of small and medium enterprise sector. Um, so we've had 11 billion so far. Um, a prerequisite for, for receiving the money is um, signing a non-disclosure agreement. So we don't really know where the money's gone. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a really good sign, I find. When like you're like, oh yeah, everything's you're gonna love it in there, but before you go in there, you're gonna have to sign this form saying you can never tell anyone. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. <laughs> but like the the interesting thing is, um, well, depressing, I guess is maybe a better word, is that uh, a few major companies have broken ranks and basically uh, said that they've received money and used it to kind of pressure government for uh, you know further help. And the the best one is. Uh, EasyJet, everyone's favorite company. It's accepted 600 million uh, mm. from the Bank of England. And yet its, uh, it's head, uh, Stelios, basically took home 60 million pounds in March. And there's been huge nice. numbers of worker layoffs. And Stelios has taken to the media to say, regardless of this money, we're still going to go bust by the end of the year. And basically, oh, no. yeah, it's really, it's, it's a really sad indictment of what's going on, because obviously, all of these measures are emergency measures, but they should be used as an opportunity to talk about what we want in the kind of medium mm. to long term, right? And they're a kind of indication of where we're going in the medium to long term. And like, even <laughs> if you're a mad free marketer, and you think Stelios is worth 60 million, you should only even be able to think about accessing money from the Bank of England or the government if you've exhausted every other means possible, right? And like mm. paying dividends of 60 million is just definitely not that. Like another class. Listen, of I mean, what you've got to... What you've got to understand is that Stelios is Greek and therefore taking huge amounts of money out of a company and basically destroying it in the process is part of his culture, and we can't really yeah. judge him for that. <laughs> That's right. He needs he needs a stern German to tell him not to do that. Where where is Channel Four to do a like benefit scum show about these guys? Incidentally, yes. Where is uh, the Alice, camera Alice, crew outside Alice. the gates of a mansion in like fucking Cheshire to be like, oh, well, you you you've already gotten. 
600 million quid from the government this year, and yet you're going out again, maybe to buy crisps? (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid that's us, Alice. Yeah, that is us, isn't it? Um, and this is this is this is this behavior of just like setting up a gigantic pipe from the Bank of England into your own garage. It's not also it's also <laughs> not entirely limited uh, to uh, to to EasyJet. Uh, for example, uh, private equity firms I've, n- I've noticed from an article in the Financial Times here have now been on a buying spree, snapping up fucked companies in sectors for like hospitality, travel, and retail that have been affected by the uh, lockdown. And now more deals are occurring at a lower value than historically, outstripped by only the period from 2005 to 2007. Um, but this time, without the sturdy bu- uh, mass credit bubble underneath it, with just no one having anything. Mm. Um, I love private it, equity. Yeah. It's such a like necessary part of our economy that we just have these guys who just kind of like go into companies, pay themselves everything, fire everybody, and then leave. That's yeah. a vital mm. function. Well, I, th- I have a little story here from the FT, which is that when Blackstone, a private equity firm, basically piled 40 mi- 400 million euros of debt into a casino operator last autumn so it could pay its investors a dividend, um, it then... Uh, 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 basically, Sirsa, the the casino operator, shut all of its sites, and now uh, it it is tapping. So effectively, Blackstone is tapping the Spanish government scheme to pay its workers' wages. Um, and so, scum in Spain. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's absolutely right. And so this, but this is the private equity model. And whether it's a, a, a whether it's a sort of vulture capitalist like Blackstone or a. Um, uh, 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 like someone like Stelios at EasyJet, right? Like this, there is this. Uh, the, these loan programs have been designed in such a way that it's possible to for executives, again, whether private equity executives or C level executives, to just pocket the money. Yeah, and I mean it's insane. Like if you take uh, Virgin as another big example, that basically they've applied for half a billion pounds uh, through the Bank of England loan scheme. It hasn't been approved. Yeah, but, you know, it's probably looking like it will. You know, Virgin doesn't pay uh, tax. Denmark's actually at least taken the lead and said we're not giving out any loans or bailouts to uh, companies that sort of reside in tax havens. But, you know, Virgin more generally has been run in this typical post-crisis way in that it's just a vehicle for raising debt and taking that debt out to kind of uh, pay shareholder dividends. You know, it's not a productive thing anymore. It's a means to take out debt. And yeah, they have the audacity to like apply for this half a billion loan. And, you know, if you think back to 2008, because everyone, you know, for better or worse, is comparing the current moments to 2008. um, We did bail out the banks, you know, in a bid to help the private sector. And now in our hour of need, you know, um, commercial banks should be doing the same for us. You know, they shouldn't be trying to profiteer. Well, the problem is, right, that all of those bailouts sort of generally either didn't take owner the, is the, the state either didn't take ownership stakes or it took ownership stakes of the companies it bailed out so apologetically that uh, you you'd be it's it's easy to forget <clears throat> that uh, the state sort of owned some of RBS and all well, the worst bits of RBS and then sort of aggressively sold it at pennies on the pound to try to get it off of its loan books and now these same companies are you know failing to support the the economy uh, causing once again the uh, public purse to be tapped by like five guys to make to keep them in like. I don't know. Uh, Not stretch, the burger people. Stretch, tr- stretch done? leather opera pumps. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. And like, that's where this hindsight point comes in, right? So, um, you know, 
after we get out of this crisis, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, the IPCC, the International uh, International Gov- uh, Panel on Climate Change, released the 12 Years Left report around decarbonisation. And, you know, basically we have 12 years to... You know, 10 years now. Yeah, well, 10 years. And this is my point, right? So, like, in a few <laughs> the years... The new Noah and the Whale album. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in a few years, that's going to be down to five five years you know that that's pretty much around the corner after we come out the worst you know the worst of the coronavirus crisis and then we're going to have five years to decarbonize the economy at this unprecedented rate and how's it going to look in hindsight when we bailed out um easyjet didn't take any shares in it or didn't put any conditions on them to to make sure they decarbonize fast enough Sorry, what do you think this is? Soviet Russia, where the where the government is able to take control of a low of a budget airline and you know cause it to stop destroying the world? You, you mentioned climate. I think that's very like I think that's a salient point. Also, just because we've seen um, just for a couple of weeks, but we've seen what happens when everybody does all of the personal stuff that you can do to like halt climate change. We stop driving. Uh, we stop flying. We stop going out, we stop buying as much stuff, and the drop in emissions has been kind of like, fuck all. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it just points to the fact that this, it, you know, it's a systemic issue. And like, while it's all very well that, you know, we use a few less plastic bags, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because, you know, reducing your own carbon impact can kind of start you thinking about wider systemic problems, right? But ultimately, as you said, we stopped driving cars, we stopped getting on planes, and there's been a drop. Like, it's been the biggest drop that I think we've ever had, but nowhere near sufficient to, to what we need. So yeah, it, mm-hmm. essentially, it all has to come from government policy. Yeah, I mean, the and, Lib Dems and, really started that ball rolling, and for that, we do yeah. have to give them credit. We had all of those tweets that were like, "Nature is returning. We're the virus," and like, you pan the camera downstream slightly, and there's just a factory that only exists to like throw ro- raw crude oil into water. <laughs> yeah, well, because like everyone, the also there was the, all that great outpouring of love for all. Oh, there's the, the super fucking um, uh, super himbo Rishi Sunak is sexily changing the economy back. Uh, into something that's you know, usable. Oh, he's outflanking labor to the left, and like, <sighs> yeah, it's easy to outflank the current iteration of labor hard. to the left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but like, but the fact that he that that these programs are structured in this way, right? The fact that they are structured to be dividend-friendly and averse to any kind of state ownership means that, you know, we are... And again, this should be completely unsurprising to anyone at this point, that our, that the austerity-addicted governments are basically unable unable and unwilling to take like any kind of meaningful action about this but instead just to say well better get it back to the status quo no matter how many lives we have to grind into dust we we are such a deeply cucked country like every it's all it's all the same energy it runs through all of these seemingly unconnected things the fucking clapping that you have to do because if you don't do the clapping you don't care about the nhs but if you raise any questions about the way the nhs is funded or supported by the government that's like be being mean, right? Mm. And then, well, like, like, you, you, you know, have the opposition... to support Captain Tom, but like a hundred-year-old man, but not like any other hundred-year-old people because they're mm. fucking like letting people die in care homes. Yeah. Sorry, and the opposition are just there to go, like, "Oh, I'm sure you're trying your best." And then, like, we ha- we have this <laughs> allergy to like learning anything or owning anything. Like, the government is like, "Oh, well, we we have to give the airline hundreds of millions of pounds, but we can't possibly own it. That would be that would be against the rules. <laughs> It'd be communism." <laughs> 
yeah. we have to run go like Milo. This is this brings back something you always used to say. We have to run government like a business, which means making huge expenditures for no return and selling off all of our assets and pennies yeah. on the dollar. Yeah, they're saying like they're saying, oh yeah, that would be communism. It's fucking capitalism. The business fucking failed, and we're buying it. It's fucking ours now. Fuck off. <laughs> have, have, we, have we thought? And I, I and I wonder whether like I'm just becoming a conspiracy theory guy as a result of just being stuck in my house but maybe the whole like clapping and getting old people to like do lots of meaningless walks and push-ups is a way of like generating energy like this is going to be the government's actual like healthy energy plan it's just gonna get it's just gonna be like getting people to like clap for yeah. inane things and that's why like you can get arrested for going on like for going on a second jog because your first jog is the one where you're supposed to exert the most energy Right, so everything mm. else just becomes like secondary to that. I'm not. I'm not smashing saying up to twenty. Powering a big dynamo. <laughs> yeah, smashing anyway. up to 2070. Captain Tom is president for life. He is incredibly jacked and 150 years old. No one can yeah, stop he, him. He just deadlifted 503 kilograms. <laughs> um, so I have another example here of uh, of a private equity institution that's engaged in rent seeking on the basis of. Um, it, okay. While this crisis is going on, WeWork Property Investors has now raised $745 million in new equity on March 9th. Oh, stick to your strengths, WeWork. <laughs> so what it actually is, is it's a, it's a joint venture between WeWork and a private equity firm called the Roan Group. Why, which was set up in- why are all private equity groups named? Like, they're really just rubbing our faces in it. Like, you could have picked any, like, number of less conspiratorially evil-sounding names well, it's, than it's because- Blackstone or the Roan Group. Well, it's, beca- mm. it's because, like, the vast majority of private equity is, like... Um, it, it, it mostly employs the sort of fourth children of mm. like Europe, European Habsburg aristocracy. Hello, yes, I'm calling. I'm calling from the Vienna Protocols. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they're they basically have been. Uh, WeWork Property Investors has now spent millions of dollars repurchasing uh, stores and then leasing them or selling them to Amazon, um, and just again levering up debt. On, uh, on, mm. on distressed uh, uh, real estate assets. Cool. Um, but uh, cool. Antonio, we we talked about a couple. We talked about a couple of dimensions. The sort of sufficiency. Uh, who is it paying? So what else? Can, what else can we talk about about this? Uh, ba- these sets of bailout programs. Sure. So yeah, it's kind of sufficiency, fairness, and hindsight, or at least that's the way I've sort of been been thinking about it. And I think yeah, this sufficiency point is really interesting because the government announced this huge scheme. It's separate from the Bank of England uh, loan scheme. It was going through high street banks to help small and medium size enterprise enterprises. And you know that that's exactly the the camp that the Tories kind of claim to claim to champion. And they set the terms for it and said you know it's going to be hundreds of millions of pounds accessible very quickly. Etc. Etc. And then basically, what's happened is these, you know, and obviously with that went a huge media, you know, song and dance and blah blah blah. And like, what's happened as a result of that scheme is it's completely impossible to obtain the money for small and medium-sized enterprises. Less than fifth of applications have been successful, and that's mainly because um, high street uh, high street banks have basically said as a requirement for getting uh, the loan um, so that you you know, SME X don't default, um, your CEO or your owner um, has to provide a personal guarantee that they will be able to 
repay the money. And also the, you know, the loans are coming with unbelievably high interest rates. And I mean, it, you're just stuck in a catch 22. Because if you, if you own a small business, and you know, you're seeking the whole reason you'd apply for this loan is because you're in difficulty, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's why people apply for loans. Um, the fact that you then have to personally guarantee that you could repay the loan in a very short period of time is, is a nonsense. So yeah, nobody's actually accessed, yeah, accessed this money. And that's not to say that, um, you know, all SMEs need to be saved, as I said, kind of like with the health tragedies, uh, all the health crises, it's, it's unreasonable for us to say, you know, we, we want zero deaths from Corona, like some of these businesses will go under. Um, it's about the degree and the degree at the moment is far, far too big. And the trajectory, you know, like for the next 12 months is not looking very good. Mm. Well, if I could sort of spot sort of one common problem between the the issues at the top, let's say, with CEOs and private equity firms just taking the money yeah. and then the problem at the bottom of uh, high street banks refusing, uh, imposing incredibly onerous conditions on lending, mm. listeners to this show will be unsurprised that I say the common problem here is the profit motive. The yeah. fact that we are, we have, we can only conceive of saving the entire economy by trying to prime the pump so it's profitable to do so. But the people who are actually able to like lend out, either lend out this money as like uh, as as the, the high street banks or the people who decide sort of how much their uh, their workers get paid of this money, like this uh, Stelios character from EasyJet, uh, or the private equity firms who decide how much of this money goes into the businesses instead of their own dividends. You know, it's that the it's that we're sort of trusting people who are just able to say, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it. Yeah, I'm I, keep I, it. I love that we abolished the concept of a public good in the '80s and then just kind of just kept on keeping on. Yeah, absolutely, and also yeah. like you know. This is a crisis. It's an economic crisis. I'm not trying to downplay that. This is also a huge opportunity to redefine everything from executive pay, you know, how companies are owned, um, you know, workers' rights within companies, um, and, you know, let alone uh, environmental conditions. And, yeah, the government hasn't even... Well, it's actively not talked about those opportunities, let alone even thought or, you know, taken a stab at any of them. Yeah, never, never waste a crisis. If the British government has a motto for the last few years, it is absolutely, I like the way this snrub guy thinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think what's, what's that's why, why it comes to, and I'm sort of going back to my uh, private equity article from the FT, um, the chief executive of the in private equity industry trade body, Invest Europe, a man, no joke, named Eric de Montgolfier, <laughs> interviewed in his enormous gilded balloon. <laughs> yeah. said, why should we be in a situation where our companies are looked at in terms of their ownership structure? All companies should be treated the same. A communist like, much? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's the thing. The ownership structure is not, it's not the problem. I mean, it's very obvious. What it's very obvious when you look at the fact that a yeah, a company like um, like Blackstone can load up a casino operator with debt and then expect the state to pay it back. But also, when you look at the at yeah, like we said, the banking practices of uh, high street lenders, it's it's the same thing. Like all of the all of the companies through which the economic recovery is supposed to be channeled, uh, they all have an opportunity to skim off the top. And of course, they all skim as much as they possibly can. Oh, I missed that it was a casino. That's the funniest thing to me is like, imagine yeah. doing the private equity thing to a casino and a casino operator being like, oh no, we have too much debt. We can't stop taking out more debt. Yeah, not so funny when it happens to you, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And and you know, but like uh, on the on the other end, right? I was also reading this article called uh, called the ninety percent economy in the Economist, which is unlike most writing in the Economist, pretty good. Uh, it has its faults, but still, this one article. I mean, the Economist has many faults, uh, but this one article was talking about how look, if the if the recovery is managed in this way, we are going to come back to an economy that sort of is considerably more consolidated, considerably less innovative, and considerably worse for pretty much everyone working in it as more as more owners, such as those uh, advocated for by Eric de Mountbatten, Polo Gentile Falangismo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> de Habsburg. Oh, I wonder how he'd been doing since Eaton. <laughs> uh, you know, these, the, as the, these companies, like the ones that took over Deadspin, all of their... The, there is less growth to, to go for, so they have to just exploit harder and um, and and exploit more and exploit more. too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like that. That is essentially the direction that this this recovery is going, and it seems to be a. Again, we can't be surprised that the policy cho- that the Tory government is doing this, right? Like that's like being surprised when you put a burrito on the floor and your gigantic fat dog eats it. No, I mean it's, <laughs> it was always it was always going to oh, do. Why it. did they put it on the carpet though? That was so chaotic. That video but, but, hurt me. I'm saying you can't. It's it's like we can explore the dynamics of how and why this is happening, but you know you almost can't. Like they're they're Tories. This is what they do. Mm. Like they're there, they're in government to do things like this. The best we can do at the moment, like Alice said about understanding the nature of gravity now that we've stepped off the cliff, is understand the nature of sort of the tree branches that are bashing us on the way down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what comes next because I think we're seeing quite a split within the Tory party at the moment. You know, there's kind of half that are gearing up for austerity um, mark two, um, and then there's the other half that's basically saying we need growth at all costs and growth at the moment is going to come through investment and, you know, probably the state potentially owning more stuff or, you know, us giving uh, more loans to businesses. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of which half, which half wins, I guess. Mm. Coming back to our long-held plan, coming back to our long-held plan to do entryism into the Tories to advocate socialism. Yeah. Um, But the the last, last, last sort of, moment on, on on this right because i was thinking about this in terms of marx and you know what we're what we're seeing uh is as sort of society crumbles you're seeing like it's the, the the long history of capitalism has been that of separating and and um de exchange value and use value and what we're seeing is and again the private equity model takes this to its logical conclusion um by going into organizations making them and making them non-viable in order to just extract exchange value from them. Um, what we're seeing is this tendency widening out in the economy and getting much broader and broader in the base. Oh, but we, what Marx failed to consider, though, was that there is a third line on that graph of labor value versus exchange value, and that is collapse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I forgot mm-hmm. about the collapse. Um, yep, that's it. The clap economy is the new economy. Mm. Damn. <laughs> his, his hidden, his secret work, Das Klapital. episode title before we carry on to visit to visit an old friend we haven't spoken to in quite some time uh antonia i want to give you sort of last word on the dynamics of the recovery section I'm sure. I mean, I don't think I've got that much um, that much more to add necessarily, but I just, yeah, would stress this point about opportunity. Like, we're all thrashing around thinking about what emergency responses we need, but those emergency responses are going inherently to pave the way for what comes next. So, um, yeah, the kind of recovery efforts and the reform efforts hopefully 
later down the line. So, you know, while I get that, you know, for a lot of people, their instinct is maybe to just um, support the government, especially, you know, in a time of crisis, like the devil really is in the detail. And, you know, nothing has been attached to this huge amount of money that's, you know, that's been given out. And just think 10 years ago, I mean, it's very much in, in the public memory that, you know, we bailed out the banks, like now, now it needs to be reversed. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the, 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 if we want to say there's, if there's any sort of thing you can do about this, right? Remember that you don't elect politics. It's one thing we've learned. You don't elect politicians. They do good policies for you. You, you join unions and through, yeah. and it's through organized labor that you can actually begin to affect the way that these things happen. You're right? using you're using a lot of very negative words here, like organize. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's because yeah. the, the thing that you have to keep to, to remember all the time is that when the New Deal was passed, that bare minimum of residualized and racialized uh, uh, sort of. Uh, bit of like an adrenaline put into the heart of a dying capitalism in the 19 sort of 30s right there was a very strong trade union movement at the time and i don't think you can say that it would have happened absent that um hmm. tradition of trade unionism so you can still affect what happens with the uh with these bailouts like you, there are even like strike waves rent strikes uh strikes at amazon and so on around america that are they're doing this and shaping the future that way right now so what everyone has to do is just still fucking join a union, join the least bad union, and then try to make it better from there. Oh, I hundred yeah. percent agree with that. And you know, I think there's a reason that none of the bailout packages, the large ones, have really been announced yet. And it's because the government's feeling the pressure of you know of the public not being all right, you know, uh, with these massive mad bailout packages coming with no strings attached. You know, when they work for these companies and they're being laid off. Mm-hmm. Union, 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 union. Um, right. So with, with, I think like, we actually managed to conclude that on a bit of a sort of hopeful note. So yeah. now, huge mistake li- there. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time to talk about, uh, Toby Young. Yes. Friend Yet of the show. Again. Um, when, in his new column, did anyone really believe what my wife wrote about me? <laughs> Just my my favorite my favorite kind of spectator article. Just throwing out some questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. this is the thing we we talked. I think I think it was you, Milo, who said that there's two genders of spectator articles, which are just like explicit fascism and then just like marital counseling. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm mad at my kids. I'm mad at my wife. Or my kids are mad at me. Or my wife is mad at me. Those are the yeah yeah. It's, it's a man against nature, man against man, man against God. It's a the spectator yeah. has a man against ma- man against man, man against wife, man against immigrant. Sus. Just uh, very, all of this is very sus. Too many guys. Uh, man against the cultural Marxists. You know, this is this is the spectator. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like his articles wouldn't do well in the pronoun test, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> uh, so a little bit of background here, especially for American listeners. Uh, the Spectator uh, commissioned a bunch of brief articles by the spouses and partners of Spectator writers to write about sort of what it was like being locked down with them. Toby Young's wife uh, was like, "Man, this fucking sucks. He's he just very annoying." Him? 
mercilessly. He, he was he was he had he like coughed twice and was convinced he had the coronavirus. And then <laughs> remember he wrote that article where he was like, "Oh, I'd gladly die for king and country." Yeah, and we talked like, about it. Yeah, but he was like, like just and did. the news is, I have coronavirus. Yeah, yeah owned like, libs. And in fact, we we learned from his wife that he just like coughed once and then spent a week in bed having a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. he's just he's just doing like a nineteenth century damsel shit, just like taking to his bed and being like, I have had an attack of the vapors. I would be alone. Uh, so uh, the the column begins. One of the nice things about having a column in The Spectator is that I get a chance to reply to all the smears and lies published about me, which brings me to my wife's remarks in last week's magazine. Powerfully, <laughs> powerfully online sentiment. I mean, I think, I think there is like there is a particular like form of chadness to referring to your wife as like a reply guy. <laughs> yeah. Why won't Why? my wife stop assing me? Yeah. Why do we torture this man by making him have a column in the Spectator? Like he should, he should just be allowed to like roam free in a forest or something. <laughs> Toadstool Meister. This is absolutely, yeah. wa- absolutely one of these columns that just should have been a court filing, but accidentally got sent to the Spectator. Uh, uh, the editor asked the partners of regular contributors to write a few words on what it's like living with us during lockdown, and Caroline was unbelievably rude. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the money, Shane. <laughs> Damn, I was wondering what happened to my ex-girlfriend, Caroline Calloway. Among other things, she accused me of being a complete hypochondriac, said the pandemic had sent my anxiety levels through the roof, and ascribed my own life or death battle with the virus to a bout of shingles brought on by stress. (laughs) (laughs) So he 100% has not had coronavirus, right? We can agree on this. Well, I I think what we can say is... We don't know if he has or has not had coronavirus. His wife, his wife's column certainly casts doubt on that. I believe women, and in this case, I believe women especially because it makes what, them look bad. What we've seen, what we're seeing, and I feel like what we are about to see is a certain type of guy, and it's like an evolution of the type of guy who believes full, full sincerely that they were in the front lines of the Second World War. So the new type of guy is yes. going to be the type of guy who is 100% convinced that they had coronavirus and that they were on the cusp of death, even though yes. all they had was the shingles. Yes, because we yeah. can't prove it without like testing, and you can't do that retroactively. Mm. That's going to be a guy. You're right. You technically, and you technically can't prove that a four-year-old didn't fight in the front lines of the Second World War. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so needless to say, this was manna from heaven for all the haters out there. So this is a column Damn. that is addressed to his wife and then a number of his haters by name. <laughs> He's so cool. Faye's <laughs> <laughs> young. Is his, uh, wife a, is his wife a hater or is his wife just like his wife an, is an, an accessory the to the haters? Yeah. yeah. So his let's wife, go through His it. wife is a fake LA bitch. Mm. So, Alan White, an online journalist who describes himself as the Lord Chief Justice of Twitter, uh, posted a screen grab of Caroline's piece, and the venomous comments came flooding in. Venting about him in public is a service that will put other women off. Ever going near a man like this, wrote Liz Trey, a <laughs> sub-editor of Time Out. And it's like, yeah, so Toby Young and his column, Toby Young and his, and his anti-wife tirade, and his, his Jeremiah owns. I guess, like, I, I, hey, I, I, do you I, want to come over to my house and watch this tape of me getting dunked on? 
I also, I also just like, <laughs> want to give out like a shout out right now to Alan White, who it was the guy who's made Toby Young this mad. So he's like, mm, I think yeah. Alan like has his thing as like chief justice on Twitter. But anyway, but he's the guy who's like caused this meltdown. So congrats. Yeah. He's been on the show before. Check, has been check on the out show, the yeah. uh, Alan White's episode. Yeah. Well, so, also uh, it's love- one of these things where I feel like Toby Young is the Washington generals and just like, we are all collectively the Harlem Glo- Globetrotters. And like, <laughs> yeah. he just, he just exists to just lose to us. That's all it is. <laughs> Yeah, but don't forget the Washington Generals got paid just the same, you know. And, yeah. and we are, we are, we are, lo- we almost wonder if we're losing by giving him all this attention. No, it's all uh, part of not. the it's show. Fine. It's part of the balance, the yeah. dialectic. Uh, before I carry, before I carry on, I want to hand back to Antonia. Uh, what do you think of this uh, anti-wife Jeremiah that's pointing out all of the reasons that people have said he sucks? I mean, what is going on here? Do they live together? Uh, yes. <laughs> right. Are they? It's like some really crap version of the Colleen Rooney, you know, Rebecca Vardy kind of. Oh, fuck, yeah. that? right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so he says. So, someone else tweeted that reads like kind of a parody of this. Reads like the kind of parody someone who hates Toby Young would write. Why doesn't she leave them? Wondered Lo- London Lofty, a QPR fan. Yeah, he's Such just an- got mm-hmm. tape of him getting dunked on. Yeah, and it's just, it's it is like it's like he's created an and one mixtape of just yeah people just effortlessly owning him. Yeah, my, my and looking at it and like, see, I'm not treated fairly. My mixtape entirely of other people's diss tracks about me. <laughs> oh yeah, he's Such going a- for the Marshall Mathers strategy of yeah now now find something to say about me. <laughs> uh, another person added, "Not in the court, not a court in the land would convict her if you know." Richard Innes, uh, co-host Damn, of a podcast, for, yeah. uh, Richard Innes, co-host of a podcast for first-time dads, wrote, "Do you think Tobe realizes he's a laughingstock?" But the next comment was the best comment of all was, "Forget about the NHS. I'm clapping for Caroline at 8 p.m. next Thursday." <laughs> yes, this, this is masochistic, right? It has yeah. to be. Who is he writing this well, for? Be- is it? Is, is it? Uh, who? Who is reading this? You know, and finding it interesting. People who hate us. their wives <laughs> and us. Yeah. Well, also, look. I, my long-standing theory is that most centrist columnists and spectator, in fact, all columnists really, especially centrist columnists and spectator writers, do, are, are only able to write about and to themselves. Like they would mm. be much better served by just having like a dream journal. Or some like a diary, and then getting a normal job, but they just can't. They have yeah. like a special process in their brain that means that they can't do anything yeah. except what, what for just constantly embarrassing themselves do? online. <laughs> well, yeah, Can you imagine thing. Toby you on can. a normal job, just showing Skull up and just going, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> turning up at the office uh, like, wow, uh, it's pretty pretty weird in here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Why does my just, postman have those big calipers on his belt? <laughs> so when people react in this way to a piece of writing that's obviously intended to be funny, I often wonder whether they're pretending to take it literally so they can use it as a stick to beat me with, or if they really are that tin here. Yeah, your wife was joking, man. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of these very specific suggestions of how just sort of annoying and shitty it's been, and the fact that she, she wrote it in a lot. She was she. She literally said several things that would make it unbearable to be around. I don't understand where the joke was, unless you were like, well, Toby Young can't be a piece of shit, so it's hilarious <laughs> that he's being written as a piece of shit here. 
I think I think the funniest thing of this whole debacle is uh, Fraser Nelson publishing that, just getting this thing back, putting out this quite light-hearted idea of, oh, what if we have the partners and spouses write about what it's like to live with them, and gets back this blistering series of owns, and it's just like, fuck it, run it. <laughs> Absolutely no respect for Toby Young, and like chaos yeah, configuration. <laughs> uh, during the five years I spent in New-, in New York, it used to depress me that so few Americans picked up on the different ironic registers that Englishmen use in everyday conversation, uh-huh. rarely intending uh. for anything to be taken at face value. If you uh-huh. try, you'll get arrested. <laughs> Happens. <laughs> a self-deprecating <laughs> remark, the purpose of which was to advertise just how sublimely self-confident I am, was often met with a look of furrow-brow concern, as though I was suffering from low self-esteem. You can't be what? self-deprecating when you're actually pathetic, or it just <laughs> comes across as sincerity. <laughs> I can't I cannot imagine Toby. anybody who looks at Toby Young and is like, this man cannot have low self-esteem. What a fucking chad <laughs> what, like, this man has he's to con- be. That's why he's constantly naked. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, no, he's constantly getting his picture taken while undressed. It's very strange. Look, we're not going to um, shame anybody for having an OnlyFans. I only ever uh, see Toby Young from the neck up, so I kind of assume that he's like that, uh, that like head with legs from uh, the Mighty Boosh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, on the other hand, an arrogant comment intended to send up the pomposity of Brits in general was usually greeted with stern disapproval. So basically, Toby Young has written an article about how his scurrilous wife can't be trusted, everyone online is being very unfair to him, and how uh, everyone in America thought he was really annoying. Meltdown May, baby. <laughs> I remember a beat. I remember being on a plane about to land at JFK on the 4th of July as fireworks are going off and saying to the man next to me how nice it was that Americans still celebrated their conquest by the Brits. I was expecting a hoot of laughter, not a history lecture about the war for independence. Man. I love that I love that he managed to meet someone that annoying, like a fucking like a Hamilton guy, and yet mm. he still managed to be the more annoying person in that conversation. Right. Just, yeah, like, I, I, I'm in the third row of that seat trying to fucking kill myself. <laughs> well, it's the this is the Toby Young style, right? Where he's like, I'm a everyone thinks I'm a huge piece of shit, which is an indictment on them. Yeah. <laughs> but in the last ten years or so, it's begun to feel like that living in Britain too. Spectator writers are particularly susceptible to being misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Because we tend to make full use of these different registers and are almost never in earnest. <laughs> not unless it's after midnight and we've been drinking all day. This is what, Toby? Th- this is what's up? Th- just constantly is... drunk. Just reminding me of a meme that I cannot read in full because I will be justly cancelled from 4chan days, which was jokes on you. I'm only pretending to be, and then it's just the R word. Yeah. That is Toby Young's whole deal. Is That's I right. was actually being ironic, so I'm not over. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's also it's like that's just the pure. This is the purest psychology of the British columnist, which is someone who's like read about Hemingway having a drinking problem, and then likes to like drink an entire bottle of gin and be like, "My wife's a piece of shit." <laughs> okay, okay, new, I'm a public new intellectual. <laughs> new theory: uh, Toby Young isn't real. Uh, that Heston Blumenthal just decided to do a bit like a parody of a spectator columnist, and it's gone too far it's gone out of hand <laughs> has uh, anyone uh, seen them in the same room 
Uh, no. I used to I used to marvel at all the people sifting through the columns of Taki, Rod Little, Douglas Murray, James <laughs> Dellingpole, and me. Just a coterie. Fucking pimps alert. Upstanding <laughs> citizens. <laughs> suicide uh, Squad. Every week. Assistant Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately looking for things to be offended by. Suspecting they were just malevolent trolls hoping to get us into trouble. They're also all children, by the way. They're mm-hmm. all, all of them are sort of just mentally uh, still in high school where they're worried about being gotten into trouble for saying something naughty, but like they can't because the principal is actively uh, like hoping they'll keep doing that. Mm-hmm. But it's begun to dawn on me that just as that they're just completely unversed in the tonal variety employed by mischie- mischievous hacks like us. Wait, the tonal variety employed by mischievous hacks like us. Like when Taki was like, yeah, the, the fucking Wehrmacht was brave and cool. Yeah, all of I- these guys have one tone. Like, I don't know why they think that they get irony as a thing, right? They, mm. they have one tone and it's this, aggrieved. Yeah, like, uh, how, if you're saying that you're like some kind of like, you know, a a, 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 a puckish, uh, sardonic commentator, and then you're just repeating all of the outrages that people have said to, uh, about you because they didn't get your sort of sparkling wit. I'm afraid you're not. No, you're just, you're just not. You, you, my, I, I love to do extreme irony by just like flatly saying, "Yo, my wife lied about me, and now a guy called like Steve Gunt is on Twitter saying, damn, this Toby Young guy's a fucking asshole.'" Uh, no, I, I noticed that it's we've we've been bandying this back and forth a bit. I want to I want to throw back to to you, Antonia. Uh, what do you think of all of this so far? <laughs> Where do you think Toby Young sits on the irony register? I think he just comes across as a deeply sad man, and I think you know he's obviously really scraping the barrel with kind of lockdown column topics as well. Like, what is even going on here? He was like quite annoying at home. His mom noticed, wrote an article about it. Then somebody, his wife, but go on with the phrase. Yeah, and then and then people online commented and said, you know, oh, you know, that's not very nice, Toby. And now he's writing an article saying, oh no, that's not exactly how it went. And I am I am quite funny and ironic. Like it's just it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> it rules. Uh, he's like if you gave drill a frontal lobotomy, you would just get Toby <laughs> Young. Yeah. Um. When it comes to their own conversation, it's the same dull note of plotting sincerity all the time, and they assume that we must be the same. Again, the, don't sign uh, your tweets. It is, it is, it's, it's hack to say projection, but projection. Yeah. Uh, um, consequently, when they read something that seems to cast one of us in a bad light, such as Caroline describing me watching her slave away at the household chores and saying, we seem to be managing really well without our cleaner, they are genuinely offended. It's called project management. Yeah. Well, wait, so he's so just to be clear, he's not helping, but he's saying no, she's fine with it. Yeah, no, it's it's mm. it's a DS thing, and that's fine. Yeah. Um. So here's the final the final paragraph. I love playing Nintendo DS with my wife. I have kept the entirety of this article because it's too funny. <laughs> in fairness, it's difficult not to be complicit in these cloth-eared confusions. Oh, good bit of alliteration there, Tobe. Part of the bond that we columnists have with our readers is that they understand us, even if most other people don't. And that's don't the thing. Toby Young doing little monster shit. Well, no, that's the thing, you right? Don't, we you don't have readers, Toby. Your readers are just us. Yeah, and the thing is, unfortunately, we do understand you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's knowing that they're in a small minority that makes the relationship special. That's right. 
And we play to that by being outrageous in a camp, hammed up way. Hold the fuck up. Toby Young, camp, is... That's gonna stick with me all week. (laughs) When in his life has he ever done anything that you could describe with the word camp? Did he ever, like, go on a hike? Just imagining, just imagining, like, the Nuremberg trials where they're just like, we were doing a bit, it was camp. <laughs> and we just play catch! Up, we play do you think, do you think we would walk like that if it was not camp? <laughs> Look, there's a complicated systems of tonal registers that we are using here. <laughs> and we play yeah. up to that by being outrageous in a camp, hammed up way, that we know will drive our critics round the twist and add to our reader's amusement. Ah, yes, no, you're owned, because I wanted you to call me a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Caroline Squibb was very much in that vein, and it seems to have worked like gangbusters. Ah, I, the master <laughs> troll, have been out-trolled by my wife. <laughs> mm. yes, what? My, my wife and I worked in perfect harmony to be- basically make me seem like a sort of slacking shithead yeah. and a completely awful partner <laughs> and it was to own you by point making you say what a dumbass I am. I, I know I know I know like the I know like the main the main takeaway here is that like he's obviously bullshitting but I can also like entertain a world where he does actually like sit his wife down in this like bizarre lockdown situation where she's already like stressed looking after their kids and being like look I want to do this bit and I need you, you have to own to me help. Yeah. So, so you have to own me. So then I can then tell everyone that actually I wasn't owned and that they were owned. And it'll be really funny. Um, it's like, I don't know. It, it, just, it seems like a very Toby Young thing to do. And I don't mm. know whether like we've just fallen for the bait or whether like we actually have. So like he's like our Joker to, you know, he's like the Joker to our Batman or maybe vice versa. Like we need each other in like the kind of Dark Knight universe that I can conjure up. Yeah, the killing saying, I, think that's, I think that's right, right? Like, he says his readers understand him. For better or for worse, we do. His, his readers are probably also, like, the same types of people who, like, we dunk, right? And then they were like, hmm. oh, well, actually, you don't get sarcasm. You don't get irony. Well, so, no, actually, I own his, his readers, His readers don't understand him because they don't understand themselves. They're, his re- <laughs> Toby Young and his readers are playing into a mutual delusion of grandeur. We are the only readers of Toby Young that truly understand him. Everyone else is consuming Toby Young columns as they're projected onto a cave wall. Only we face the light that generates them. <laughs> I was about to make that same joke. Only we inhabit the land of Toby Young forms. We understand <laughs> the ideal Toby Young and his ideal wife. That's right. That's right. That's all. We are all wives of Toby Young today. Yeah. Um, that to which all Toby Young strive to be and to imitate. Uh, with it, we are, this poll, this is the platonic form of the Toby Young column. Uh, just in, infinite, uh, it just infinite um, uh, resentment and sort of and petty anger directed every direction. Mm. So, uh, with that being said, I want to say first of all, thank you very much to Antonia for coming on today. Uh, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Everyone, check out Rethinking Economics. It's going to be in the description. Oh, thanks so um, much. It's been lovely being here. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we, we have some shirts. Uh, they have been restocked. So uh, the email address for that is going to be in the description of the show. You know what it is. You know how to get them. And the quicker that they go, the sooner we can keep doing even more designs with more artists to create more Trash Future uh, collab. Yeah, maybe like collabs. a big Toby Young head. Mm. Says yeah. you are actually owned. Yeah, a, a full a full Toby Young fursuit. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> Brendan Brendan O'Neill bodysuit with inflatable head. Oh, speaking of uh, mm. the um, 
the St. Brendan's Day debate, May 18th is actually St. Brendan's Day, uh, is going to be happening on twitch.tv slash trashfuturepodcast on May 18th. Uh, it's May 18th. We're going to have two teams. It's going to be moderated by Brendan O'Neill. And then the government is going to be Brendan O'Neill, supported by Brendan O'Neill and Brendan O'Neill, opposed by Brendan O'Neill, uh, supported by Brendan O'Neill and Brendan O'Neill. So uh, definitely do come to that. Yeah, it's star-studded going to be, cast. <laughs> a star-studded cast of seven yeah. Brendan O'Neills. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think um, aside from saying that our theme song is Here We Go by Jinsang, find it on Spotify, listen to it early, listen to it often. I think that's all, all she wrote for today. Mm. Mm. Uh, listen to Well There's Your Problem as well. Listen to Hell of a Way. You know what it is. Yeah. Um, Never and... read anything written by our various wives or girlfriends. No, it's all lies. <laughs> it's all lies. Oh yeah, do you uh, speak? Do you speak Russian? Listen to my Russian podcast. It's called uh, Too Much, uh, and you can find it on all the fucking podcast things. That's right. Mm. That's right. Uh, and Tony, do you have anything else to plug, or just rethinking economics? Um, no, I think yeah. Just check out Ari. Um, and yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, our pleasure. All right. Uh, See you on the Patreon on Thursday, everybody. Bye. Bye.